Okay, if you ever get the chance to sit down face-to-face, guitar-to-guitar with Frank Gambale, do it. Because, man, I'm telling you, it's not something you'll ever forget. It's just not fair. Frank doesn't always play that fast. That's a little preview from later in the interview when I prompt him to do so. Because why not? If you've got a Lamborghini for a day, you want to get it out of neutral. Yeah, Frank, it just seems like there's no limit to how fast he can play with that uh, signature technique that he developed. which he's known. I mean, he put sweep guitar on the map. Especially when he joined Chick Corea's electric band. He joined the band of his hero, Chick Corea, in the late 80s. I'm your host, Jude Gold. This is episode 16 of No Guitar Is Safe. That's the Chick Corea Electric Band, Make-A-Wish Part 2. Frank's stretching out there. It's an unmistakable sound. Of course, Frank has had many great bands over the years. Tons of solo albums. His latest album, and he has a new one on the way they're working on. It's called Frank Ambali's Soul Mine, featuring Boca. Boca sings her tail off on every song. Wanna run, wanna hide, get away, take the ride. also Frank's wife. They have an awesome house. Wonderful daughter, just six years old. And they have this great home studio, which is where I went for an afternoon to catch up with Frank and just really get into how he did it. He had a vision for his style when he was like, I don't know, 14? saw it through. He stuck with it. And as you'll find out, Frank Gambale has always been a fantastic music teacher, guitar teacher. The best way to find him nowadays is on his new online guitar school, just called FrankGambaleOnlineGuitarSchool.com. That's right. Type that out and you're there. But before that, you know, he was the chair at Los Angeles College of Music, also known as LAMA, LA Music Academy. Before that, well, you know, back in the day, he used to teach at MI, G-I-T. Before that, when he was 16, he had 40 students. I mean, this is a guy that probably when other kids had a lemonade stand out in front of their house, he had like guitar lessons, 10 cents out in front of his. So he's an amazing cat. And he's also got some fantastic gear from Carvin, now known as Kiesel. And um, Carvin Guitars, fantastic Frank Gambale models. That's what we use in the interview. We're both playing them. And also he has these great DV Mark amps, which you're going to learn all about. Man, they're really fun. And they get a million sounds and they sound great. 
and he's got signature cabinets too. Before we get the interview and jam with Frank Gambali started, I just want to say, you know, I go to a lot of cool events or interesting guitar events and bass events, and sometimes I think I should maybe mention a couple of them to you. For this week, I wanted to tell you about where I was a week ago. It was Robert Trujillo's premiere of Jocko. Robert, of course, plays bass for Metallica, but in every extra second of time he had over the last three years or so or more, and every extra dime he had, he put it into this movie. It's really quite a show of love for music and a great gift to the music community. He made a movie called Jocko, a documentary of the world's most influential bass player. You know him, Jocko Pastorius. And he did it hand in hand with Jocko's family. They were there too, Jocko's sons, John and Felix. Felix played, Billy Idol played, Steve Stevens played. Flea was there playing. So many other bass players there attending. Jerry Jamat, Stu Ham, Billy Sheehan, Ethan Farmer, Rhonda Smith. I mean, the list goes on and on. Verdine White, it was crazy. Lee Sklar, I can't mention them all. But the, the DVD is now available. Talk about a great Christmas present for some of your musician friends. Gotta say, man, Robert put his heart, soul, and money into this, and it's a really wonderful gesture. So check it out. Check out the previous podcasts, so many to choose from, 14 other ones, 14 other episodes. Feel free to rate them on iTunes if you can. That helps us, I guess, I've been told. Helps spread the word. All right, well, let's go over to Frank's house over across the hills and not that far away. Thank you. 
etc etc it's just too tempting to just keep playing blues pray the bruise you're in a blues kick what were you saying before i turned the mic on um i just launched an online guitar school and uh the first course that i put out there is ten and a half hours of blues called uh spicing up the blues and um, so I've been in blues mode for at least a year or more now, uh, preparing the, the course and getting it up online. So, yeah, you were telling me about this. Of course, it's a very, very cool opportunity for guitar students. It's, uh, the URL would, of course, be frankgambalionlineguitarschool.com. That's it, yes. Dude, that's a pretty... Uh, you've always been... Uh, had a great approaches to education. You had your Thank you. revolutionary speed picking book, yeah. which I understand you wanted to call it sweet picking. Yes. Yeah. The publisher at the time, I mean, there was no precedent, you know, uh, I, I'm, um, not afraid to say that I, f I am the originator of the sweet picking technique. A lot of people will argue it, uh, perhaps, but before I came along, nobody had formalized it. Nobody had taken it to the level or the degree that I had. And certainly nobody had written a book or done a video on the subject. And that's why the publishers were saying, well, man, we can't call it sweet picking. Nobody's going to know what it is. And, of course, they were probably right. So they, the compromise we came up with was speed picking. So that right. at least people would realize that it had something to do with playing fast, right? Which was and, all the rage, probably. What year did that book come out? Well, the book was 84. I wrote it, and it came out 85. Yeah. That's and right then, when people were addicted to speed. Right. Guitar, I'm talking about. Yeah, um, and then the video was uh, about 1986 or 87 it came out. I can't remember. Around well, there. interesting because I wanted to point out that you that was not your title because I, knowing you as I have for a few years off and mm -hmm. on, yeah. I've always thought that that title was not quite sophisticated enough for A, the technique, B, the person behind it. So Thank I, you. I, well, yeah. I, uh, I had nothing to do with the title. Right. Believe me, I lobbied so hard um, and they wouldn't uh, allow yeah. the the title well these things happen but it's interesting to to know yeah. the backstory yeah it is good to know that. but i'm about to set that straight because the second course that i'm releasing on the on the online school is another roughly 10 hour course of sweep picking it's going to be called the definitive sweep picking course and so i can finally use the title and i'm going to carry forward you know the last 20 years or 25 years of my developments in the technique, all these new things I've discovered to do with it. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah. And how does the school work online? You, uh... Well, yeah, it's just a streaming service, basically. And you, you can sign in and, and, and become, well, you have, it's like buying courses. It's not really a subscription base. It's really, I'm just going to be you know, putting up tons of courses over the years because, um, you know, when I was head of the LA, uh, um, the LA Music <laughs> Academy, the head of the guitar department. Which is uh, now, I know why you're confused because it's now. called Los Angeles College of Music now. It was a boutique school, but it, it really was great because I, I uh, wrote the program for the school at the time. And it's a ton of material that I have that I'm really excited to turn into video um, classes, you know, and there's all kinds of things from composition to improvisation, songwriting, rhythm guitar, all kinds of stuff that I wrote for the students at the time and uh, that's still applicable, you know, and still 
great info that I want to get all online at some point. So the school's going to grow in terms of courses. Yeah. Now, what did, what was your experience like as a your how long how long were you the uh, department head over there at uh, Lama when it was? I now it's it Lockham. Yeah, I think it was roughly ten years. I'm just trying wow. to put a maybe it was a little less than that, maybe seven or eight years. You know, like I did that. similar work at MI for yes. four years. Right. It's an interesting experience being a department head. Right. In, in addition to being a musician, what what were what did you uh, enjoy about it? Uh, well, the part I always enjoy the most is actually doing the classes and and teaching uh, and and watching the light bulb go on. That's what I always used to say. I just love it when they yeah. when the student gets it. You know, go, oh yeah, brilliant, and they're inspired. That's that was the biggest kick I got out of it. Really, it's fantastic. Right. Students right. come is. from all corners of the globe. That's right. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't like the administrative side of it at all. So <laughs> I think that's what drove me nuts and decided to just uh, hang it up after a long period of time. You know, uh, my buddy Tarek Akoni was, uh, I think yeah, he, he took over. For, <laughs> and now my buddy Adam Levy that's right. is, is there. So we'll keep it's passing the baton. <laughs> yeah. Great place to study guitar because it's uh, actually very you know, cozy department. You get a lot sure, of personal attention. Yeah, there's not a lot of students. It was, uh, <laughs> that wasn't the desire, but yeah. that's the way it, in, it well, you is, know, you know. Ebb and flow. Right. And be- before we move on, I just want to say that I totally agree with you that when I think of sweet picking and when most people think of it, absolutely, mm-hmm. they think of Frank Gambali. There's, that's it should great. almost be called Gambali picking. You know, there's only one, <laughs> there's only one style that I can think of where it's known specifically by the guy's last name, which would be Travis picking. Right. You know, Merle yeah. Travis, great. He did it with just his thumb and his first finger. And, right. And, uh, right. and yeah, so, you know, yeah, you, you are definitely, <laughs> well, look that up in the musical dictionary and we should see a picture of your face. Yeah. I I still have to set the record straight in a few uh, few areas like uh, Wikipedia, for example. Uh, um, you know, it's one of those uh, websites yeah. where anybody can contribute, and uh, you know, I, I've I've put my stuff up there on many occasions, and people keep coming in putting their interpretation of it, and so it's a very yeah. difficult thing to set the record straight. So I've, I'll just have to do it on my own. <laughs> well, I'd love to hear how you developed your style, but first, I mean. If- if we could, like, I'm curious, you grew up in what part of Australia? I, I grew up in the capital in Canberra. And at the time, uh, you know, because it was where all the, the government was and all the government offices, there was also tons of uh, ethnic uh, clubs. There was an Italian-Australian club, a German-Australian club, you know, like the, uh, the branches of all the embassies, too. So there were lots of places to play. It was great. And uh, so there were a lot of musicians. Per capita, Canberra was only 300,000 people, but I reckon half the population was, were musicians at the time. Wow. So it was, uh, it was a great place to grow up and, and play. And uh, I remember, you know, at 13, I was playing professionally. What was your family like? What did your parents do? Were they musicians or professionals? Uh, no, my dad was, my parents were immigrants uh, from Italy and they... They were really from the farm, but my dad was a great, you know, builder and contractor and, uh, you know, built a lot of houses and and uh, did really well there, you know. They were hard That's workers. And I, I yeah. picture you kind of like being like Ivy League Australian, if there's such a thing. Cause, no. And I mean that in the best possible way, because I've had you, I remember when, you know, I've had you do, do clinics before at MI and... Hmm. 
one of the best speakers by far in terms of Thanks. articulating your ideas and answering people's questions. Right. Well, it just comes from doing it a lot. You know, I remember when I was 16, I had 40 private students. Wow. <laughs> so I was enterprising way back when. So what was the first lick that you ever played? Uh, well, the first song I learned was Hendrix, you know. The Hendrix inspired me to want to play. You know, I had two older brothers, fortunately, and they were the ones that really were playing and getting into it. And I was just a little kid, you know. But uh, So I got a head start. That was the definite advantage, uh, advantage to being the youngest. But it was this. It was... Uh, <laughs> You know, you Hendrix. You know, I used to love the rip. maybe want to play stretch out and do like a, a storytelling sort of long note solo there because you yeah, don't always do that it's wonderful <laughs> to hear and so then you branched out from hey joe to other hendrix tunes or yeah i mean i loved little wing who didn't like i thought that was mandatory guitar Everybody should, everybody should learn that, you know? That's kind of mandatory. Uh, yeah. yeah. Hendrix was great, too, because we all think of those as Hendrix moves, but so much of that stuff is... Uh, yeah. What key are we in? Yeah. That's like, that's R&B stuff that, you know, 
He probably grabbed that from some of the R&B country, too. Yeah. Those other bands that he played in, but he just took it over the top. He just played it louder. (laughs) So you're hearing Hendrix from, and your brothers are playing. You're also, you played piano. I mean, you've got a grand piano sitting behind you, too, which is. Yeah, uh, that wasn't until later. Uh, I was about 17 when I started fooling around on the piano. Oh, really? Uh, I just, I'd love to, to be able to accompany myself. The comp- concept of, you know, chord, chord melody on guitar is certainly wonderful, uh, but it's much harder, I think. And, and I was kind of getting a bit frustrated not being able to play the chord voicings I wanted to play. You know, especially the closer voicings, which are, uh, you know got to stretch like a maniac on guitar to be able to play a lot of them. Well, I'm really hoping that we can uh, check out your close voice tuning. Ah, yes, we will get to that, yes. I'm psyched about that. That's um, very cool. So what kind of gigs were you doing professionally at 13? Well, uh, you know, we were playing cover bands. Of course, that's what people do. We were doing covers. At first, it was kind of more like country rock stuff. Uh, Let's say Eagles... um, um, who else was Crosby, Stills and Nash? A lot of that stuff. Uh-huh. I was into vocal groups. I loved yeah. all the harmonies. My my brother and the other guys in the band all sang, so we sang good three part. We used to have vocal rehearsals, just getting our harmonies right. That's so important. Oh, absolutely. Being a great musician, I'm starting to understand more now. Okay, where you get all this from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, roots. singing, uh, and you know, I was even lead singer towards the end of the. The, uh, before I launched into America. and um, Hey, man, it's not so, too late to start singing lead again. I know you no. have Boca singing with yeah, you. Yeah, no, the Soul Mine <laughs> record, my latest record, is uh, has Boca singing the whole record. We collaborated. I wrote most of the music, and she wrote the lyric, and it was I just love it. I don't know if yeah. you've heard that record yet, but yeah. it's, uh, it's cool. It's kind of Steely Dan meets uh, Nita Baker. It's a very interesting mix of things. And uh, we're working on a second one, you know. I've got some very, very cool songs ready to go for the second one, too. So I'm very excited about getting to record that soon as well. So I'm, I'm, sort, of, um, I'm sort of coming full circle, in a sense, especially with the blues thing, returning to some of my roots, you know, yeah. and also uh, the vocal music uh, lately. So Wow, well, there's so much circle. to talk about here today, and I want to try to get to all of it, including... Your awesome gear here from Carvin, the guitars that we're playing, to, yeah. of course, the DV Mark amps and mm-hmm. other such stuff. But um, I'm fascinated with how somebody like you developed this amazing and singular voice on the guitar. So, sure. so I guess at some point you were possessed to go to L.A., well, you know, uh, when I was 13, I discovered the music, uh, a, lot of, a lot of great jazz music, you know. Uh, it's, I would say Stealing, Steely Dan was kind of like a bridge for me. I, I discovered them in the early 70s and uh, became a huge fan. And every record that came out, I just had to study. You know, I would disappear for weeks. And, uh, you know, my mum would slip food under the door going, you okay, Frank? <laughs> and I go, sure, mum, just transcribing. You know, just I had to know how it all worked. You know, I, the chord changes were so hip that I just wanted to understand the movements. And I learned a lot from studying that stuff. What are some of the, like when you're, what's an early revelation that you might remember from a Steely Dan song in terms well, of chord uh, changes? I just loved how they would play triad over bass notes. It's 
a very bizarre tune. It's called Green Earrings. But it, I just loved, mm. at first, when I first started transcribing, I couldn't figure out that it was triad over bass note. I, I was kind of major seven. It's not quite the same, but... Like, like but slash gotta, chords? Slash chords, exactly. And so they were just using them all over the place, you know, these kind of things. And it was kind of blues-based. Dying to be a star and make them laugh. Sound just like the record on the phonograph. Those days are gone forever, over a long time ago. You know, just those triad movements all over the place. I was like, yeah, that's that's hip. Fantastic. You should uh, sing that stuff, man. You, yeah, you I, lo- I love tone. singing. <laughs> I have been singing uh, last few uh, live concerts that I've been doing, so it's, I'm getting returning to that too. But... Um, and then music uh, like the Brecker Brothers and Chick Corea just took my head off, you know. I just uh, was deeply into the harmony and, and trying to figure out what they were doing. And, of course, I got into the linear stuff, too, with Michael Brecker and Chick Corea. I have to say they're the two biggest uh, linear influences on me, you know, because I just the, the, the intricacy of what they were playing over changes was really deep, you know. So uh, I did a lot of transcribing solos, you know. So you're that, writing them out literally in notation? No, no, I wasn't or, necessarily writing them down. I was just learning, uh, learning sometimes them. I would learn a, a Mike Brekelick and I would just uh, permutate it. You know, I would take it and I go, oh, and then I would put my own little thing on. Oh, what if I did this to it and that? And and one lick could keep me amused for hours, you know. Now, of course, uh, I have to ask you about, show us one of these things. So many great jazz and fusion guitar players have mentioned Michael Brecker yeah. as a huge influence. And what were you taking from his horn lines? Like, show me something. I'm, uh, I've never really studied him deeply. I know he did lots mm-hmm. of cool superimposition or variations on the melody. And, well, the thing about Brecker, rather than me trying to badly play an example of one of yeah. his solos, it's just the clarity of his uh, his thought and the 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 incredible, impeccable time that he had, and just the creative lines. They were just different and beautiful and intense. Uh, and he could start with the simplest phrase. I could play you uh, recordings, a million yeah. recordings of, you know, solos that I played. I can even just mention a couple of records that I really like. Sure. Um, there's one called uh, Hearts and Numbers. It's a record by Don Grolnick, keyboardist. Um, and Brecker's solos on that record are just incredible. And it, to, to keep them simple, I liked when he did recording sessions as well. He did a couple of Michael Frank's records, who's a kind of smooth jazz, yeah. kind of almost pop music, but Brecker's solos are just incredible yeah. to hear him over a simpler context. Uh, so I, I transcribed the, the heck out of all his stuff as much as I could get my hands on. And plus the Brecker Brothers albums. So anyway, you know, those they were big influences on me and they helped shape my, uh, my, my style, I think, because literally, I mean, to some of the arpeggios that uh, are, are easy on horn... Um, and horn players have a little thumb switch at the back that they can play the same fingering for several octaves and they don't have to move. So except for the thumb changes the octave and, and keyboard players having two hands 
to yeah. to play arpeggios. There was a lot of stuff that I just I thought, how the heck am I gonna? Mm. Um, and I remember the the first the real breakthrough was this first arpeggio in my uh, my sweep arpeggio, the major seven, because all the traditional shapes were like this. They were um, in position, shall we say, which were easy for the left hand, but the right hand. It's all that string it, skipping. Well, it, it was just inconsistent, you know. There's no way I could play a right. standard uh, arpeggio shape that we still have in books all over right. the place. So now you're playing like a C major arpeggio at the seventh position. Yeah. Right, but except I play three notes on the D string. One, one, three. And then one, one. And I actually skip a note. So I only have two yeah. on the top to turn it around. Then it comes down exactly the same way. One note on every string, except the D string, there's three. And then one, one, two. And uh, it comes down one, one, three on the D string, one, and then two to turn it around. Now let me hear that at uh, some various tempos. So how about old it, were you when you discovered this way I don't of know, it was about 14 or something. But... You know, um, I mean, now were all your friends just tripping, or you think? <laughs> well, I couldn't play Dude, it clean. Frank. I wasn't doesn't. I wasn't quite getting it clean. But conceptually, I had okay. It. When you were sixteen, were all your friends? Yeah, probably. <laughs> they were going. What are you doing, man? Too fast. Slow down, man. <laughs> you know. But what's beautiful and elegant about it is that, you know, if you were to simply compare it with alternate, which is was the popular technique of the day. You know, you have to pick 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 times as yeah. opposed to a sweep across three. One, two, three. That's one sweep all the way down. Four, five, six, seven picking strokes to play 17 notes. I mean, it's obviously clearly more logical and more efficient. Now, what know? made you think of sweeping or is there any other influences or well, there was, I mean, we all everyone sweeps a little bit here that's and there. right that's right uh there were indications all over the place you know most people would and blues players were going they'd, they'd rake across three strings but nobody thought to do it uh anywhere else kind of yeah. and jazz players had a liquid where they rake up uh, you yeah. know, uh, over three strings, but there was it was kind of isolated, and nobody thought to um, well to play it scales, you know, uh, pentatonics or arpeggios, or in <laughs> fact join all kinds of lines until it becomes some crazy. Let me hear some more of that. Let me hear some more of that, Frank. <laughs> I think the funniest tribute that anyone has said to you that I'm aware of is is on your bio is John McLaughlin. I want to cut his hands off. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it's just that's just not fair. 
you know, I know you've heard that before, but, uh, so uh, was there a moment when you were just like a light bulb went off and you just saw this pathway? Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, think about this, man. I mean, when you've got, you know, just this simple E minor triad on three strings, why would anybody on earth want to alternate pick that? It just doesn't make sense, right? One note per right. string. It makes perfect sense to just rake across and separate the notes or backwards. So that was the that was what conceptually got me going in it. I thought it makes more sense just to rake across. The hard part was getting it clean and getting yeah. it in time. <laughs> so you how know, did you do that? Uh a lot of lot of work, a lot of hours, just metronome. But the thing about sweep is that it doesn't really work slow. It's really yeah. not a technique that's designed to be slow. I guess my best analogy I always make is it's like a fifth or sixth gear in a car. You know, yeah. you can go absurd speeds, but it's relaxed, it's comfortable. Yeah. But you wouldn't you wouldn't drive a car in sixth gear from start. You know, you wouldn't. Yeah. take off in sixth gear so it's that's a, a, yeah, the best analogy i can make you're so cruising down the autobahn and you're not smelling any smoke nothing. from your engine <laughs> and you hardly even know you're moving you know it's great i mean there is that moment when i've watched you take solos from your performing and uh kicks into that gear yeah like, there it is <laughs> there it goes again <laughs> yeah you've kind of created that octave switch that's saxophone players have in a way like you kind of turn the guitar into a saxophone the way you can blaze on it most guitar players can't keep up with someone who's just doing fingering keys on a horn right and, but, and horn players have to breathe so they're a little yeah. envious too they you know unless yeah. they're into circular breathing which yeah. is possible i suppose which but, i have witnessed but yet i still don't quite believe it yes i have a buddy mm -hmm. joshi marshall played a million gigs with him he does it <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. still some smoke and mirrors going on there. I don't get something it. Something going on. He's got a little tube or something coming out of his ear. <laughs> so when did you uh, head to... Uh, you would, what, how did you discover GIT? Or did you see the um, Guitar Player Magazine ads? Yeah, or? well, look, we, we were avid, you know, guitar and gear aficionados. My brother especially, my oldest brother, Nunzio. Um, we, we read the magazines, albeit uh, three months late, <laughs> but we still read them. And uh, we we saw the ads for schools. We were reading studio, you know, Tommy Tedesco's Studio Log, and you know, it was a great magazine, very resourceful, and great interviews. And um, you know, eventually, my brother, uh, I decided I want to go. You know, that's where all my favorite music was coming out of L.A. And I said, I have to go. I have to get closer to it. That was What was my coming dream. out of L.A. that brought you? Well, it was mostly uh, Chick was living here at that time. Uh, and so all the, the Return, to Forever, uh, Return to Forever records were being done here. Uh, Jean-Luc Ponty was living here. I ended up working with him, too, uh, the French violinist. And um, uh, I don't think the Brecker brothers were here, but it was just the U.S. Yeah. I, you know, a lot of Australians dream about coming to the U.S. So to me, I thought if I go to a music school, that sort of enables me more time to stay and look around. And I had no idea what was going to happen. To me, it was uh, I, I saved my money and I came over and with no expectations. I really just wanted to practice. I wanted a year off to practice. And uh, 
and play and meet people. And, and that was what I did. So you landed right in the center of Hollywood. What was your impression when you showed up here? <laughs> well, Hollywood looked like uh, Beirut after a war uh, at that time. It was the absolute low point of Hollywood. I mean, when you look at it now, it's been completely transformed. I mean, mm-hmm. even the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel was a shattered ruin. It was a squat uh, all the windows were broken. I mean, it was, uh, wow. there were bombs everywhere on the street. It was a very dangerous place at the time. It had gone way down. So, and that's when I arrived, I went, so this is Hollywood, huh? And you're <laughs> you know? like, what, 18, 19? I was 22. 22. And I thought, man, I can't wait to get out of here. My, my idea at the time, after seeing Hollywood at, in that state, um, made me want to just stay inside the school doors and not come out, you know? So that's pretty much what I did. I was there like 12, 14-hour days. And what year did, was this? 82. 82. So, And there were some great staff members teaching. Who was teaching oh, at that time? Oh, my goodness. Yes, Joe DiOrio, uh, Don Mock, uh, Jeff Berlin, Scott Henderson had just graduated and started teaching. At the time, the school was growing fast, right? And even I, when I graduated, they would take the... Uh, you know, some of the the better players, we will say, and offered them jobs. And of course, I was offered a job too. So I ended up teaching for four years. But now, slow down. Slow down. <laughs> Other, so there were a lot of great teachers happening. Uh, Carl Schroeder, who's still, still there. there. Yeah. Carl's uh, Dan great. Gilbert, all these guys, uh, great, great instructors, inspiring instructors, lots yeah. of others that I'm sure. I, I should have mentioned, but even oh, Joe yeah. Pass used to hang out with D- Joe DiOrio and Jam. Uh, I saw um, lots of great players coming through, plus visiting artists, you know, that was always great. Now, I imagine that you already had your uh, signature sound kind of happening. You're yes. sweeping and stuff. Yeah. What was the was reaction? I mean, these are some of the greatest guitar players in the country, if not the world, teaching and jamming here and learning some of the students coming up. The Scott Hendersons and Dan Gilberts, everyone coming up. Mm-hmm. What what were their reactions when they saw your approach? Well, first reactions were, "What the hell are you doing?" <laughs> Nobody could quite figure out. There was a big disconnect visually by the notes that were coming out versus uh, what they were looking at. It just looked too easy for all those notes to be coming out. But you know what? It's like those. It's uh, hindsight has twenty twenty. When people saw it, they went, oh, of course, you know, ah, right, (laughs) you know, oh, but what? Hang on. And, uh, you know, I was constantly asked to show me this, show me, how do you do this? How do you do that? So that's why I wrote the book, uh, Speed Picking. I wrote the book because uh, I was still a student when I wrote it. And I said, look, I had the manuscript for ages before I had it published. I said, look, I would do photocopies for people. I said, look, this is what I'm doing here. Take it. Let me practice, you know, because I kept getting not bugged, but I just I wanted to keep working on it, you know. And I said, right. well, here it is. Go, go learn it, you know. So there was, uh, yeah, it was new. It was fresh at the time. And I remember uh, Eddie Van Halen, too, was uh, really popularizing the tapping technique. And I remember everybody was going that way before anyone had ever heard of me. Uh, but it was only a few years before sweeping really uh, caught on too. Um, Eddie 
Everybody was going, ah, you know, fed up with the pick. The pick's so hard for a lot of people, you know. You really, yeah. as a guitar player, you really have to be organized if you're going to use the pick, you know, uh, to any kind of really high, efficient level. And, and I could see the frustration with a lot of guitar players saying, screw this pick, you know. Tapping was such an easy way to play fast, you know. Totally. You know, so it, it really, everybody sort of was jumping on that bandwagon. But I'm looking at the pick going, no, nah, no, nah, I'm sticking with the pick, you know. Do you ever just, sweep with just your fingers too? Like, no. Like you never no. ever, just, you, it's a pick thing. No, it's it's definitely a pick thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a pick. It's all pick, in fact. Because the alternating pickers will sometimes, you know, with, with actually with their fingers sometimes. I figured you could get oh, away yeah. with it. Well, I, uh, you can sort of do three finger sweeps, you know, we. That's Let's not see. a sweep. That's a banjo roll. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but of course, your designs were never just to be a teacher or a clinician, although I'm no. amazed by the clinic tours you do. And if we have time, I'd love to hear about what it's like mm -hmm. to be a truly professional clinician on top of everything else you do. Mm. But you obviously wanted to get in some bands and play. So how did you yeah. get out there once you arrived in LA and kind of got established? How did you find gigs? Well, um, <clears throat> one of the first gigs I got was at a club. It was a jazz club right on Lancashire Boulevard in, uh, in, uh, North Hollywood or studio city. It was a famous jazz club for many years. And I caught like the tail end of it. Uh, uh there was a horn player that I really loved who worked with Chick Corea too, and had tons of solo records out. His name was uh, Joe Farrell. And uh, he used to do a regular Monday night at Dante's. And I remember going there as a student and looking around, you know, there was like three people in the audience. The band was great. Tom Breckline, uh, Kay Akagi, Bob, Bob Harrison was the bass player. I ended up using all those guys in my band. Um, and I actually wanted to play with Joe. And then uh, he died uh, shortly after I started going to hear the band. He'd done some incredible work with Chick Corea uh, on some iconic records, you know, like Friends, I think it was one where he, where he really was featured. But um, so uh, the club owner said, do you have a band? You know, he knew I was going there a lot. Uh, and I said, yeah, I, I and I did sort of have a band at the and time. And if you didn't, you did by the next That's time. That's right. <laughs> Since you want to take over the Mondays? And I said, well, you know, yeah. And so I started playing regular Mondays there, putting a band together. Uh, and then I just, you know, it gave me inspiration to keep writing. So I was writing a lot of music and, uh, and then actually one of my students ended up helping me get my first rec recording contract because, um, it was the, the brother of Mike Varney, who's well known in guitar player magazine circles, shrapnel yeah. records and all that. His brother yep. was the fusion guy, right? Uh, Mark Varney. And one of my students, uh, Mark was looking for, uh, artists he wanted to start his own label too and one of my students sent him a demo and and the, and mark wrote back to him and said yeah that was nice it was great but it's not quite what we're looking for do you know anybody and he and then my my student uh craig garfinkel his name is he's he does a lot of films now uh said how about this yeah my teacher you know and uh, he insisted that i put a demo together and send it to him and the guy and mark loved it and uh I ended up doing my first three records on his label, Legato Records, and that's yeah. how I got my start recording. That's now from you have one about, of my students. 
20 albums now or something? Yeah, some 20-something. Does that include Under my own name. Under your own name, 20? Yeah. So then you started branching out, though, of course. Yeah. And And after a couple of years, uh, you know, I started playing with a guy called Justo Almario, who's a very well-respected horn player in town, still plays a lot. And I got to meet some great musicians. Um, um, one of my my uh, classmates was a guy called Oscar Kayataya, great bass player. He plays with J Lo, and uh, he, he's played all over the place. He was a real go getter. He would bring some uh, the Latin guys in to play at the school. And I remember he did a project, and I played. He asked me to play guitar on it, and it was Alex Acuna. Uh, it was a guy called um, John Pena. I still work with John Pena on bass. Uh, some great, great musicians. Luis Conte, who's on everybody's record on percussion. Yeah. And uh, so I was playing with those guys, you know. Uh, Frank Satoli was a keyboard player. Great musicians. And I learned a lot, played a lot, did a lot of gigs, and started playing with my own band at, at uh, the, the local clubs, too. And Do you remember any of your licks that you played from any of your songs back then? What were some of your early tunes? Uh, Even just a couple bars or something. <laughs> All right. There's, uh, what were you playing one. on these Monday nights? Well, I had some weird songs. Can't hardly remember it. Early records. Very strange little progressions. I used to play all kinds of music. Yeah, but it was my, my fusion stuff from my first couple of records I was playing. And then I did a live record, which uh, really, uh, it was uh, pretty, um, that was after I started working with Chick. I remember coming back from a very long tour, just anxious to play my own music for a while. Yeah. And we did a blazing record and... Uh, this is a little offshoot because there's a solo on one of the tunes. It's really long. It's a, a, it was just no holds barred. I wanted to do a recording where no commercial concerns, not even in the slightest. And I wanted everybody to take as long as they wanted to express themselves. And uh, there's some incredible playing on that record. And, um, and I'm glad we captured that. But I remember one time recently I was in India and I was brought over by a a guy who's a real big fan of mine. And that guy and one of his buddies could sing that entire solo. (laughs) And I watched them do it. I have a videotape of them. I mean, it's amazing to me that, that, uh, you know, where your music reaches, you know. Uh, So I'm I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but... uh, well, so, yeah, of course, we got to find out how you ended up playing with your hero. Well, with Chick, uh, first I started playing with Jean-Luc Ponty, and I was kind of following uh, Scott Henderson's footsteps a little bit because Scott Henderson was playing with Jeff Berlin, and then he left Jeff Berlin to play with Jean-Luc Ponty, and I joined Jeff Berlin's band, and I played with him. And in fact, I did my very first album in L.A. with Jeff Berlin. It's a record called Pump It. And, but the, the critical thing about that recording was that it was at Mad Hatter Studios, which is Chikoria's studio. So here I was recording in the studio where many of my favorite records had been done. It was very emotional to me. I saw much of the, the artwork on the walls was the original, you know, re, uh, Romantic Warrior album and stuff like that. Wow, where was so, the studio? Uh, it's in Los Feliz. It's oh, cool. right on Griffith Park Boulevard. Does he still yeah. have a studio? It belongs to Scientology now, but uh, it, uh, 
It's a beautiful studio, state-of-the-art, and there were some incredible pianos. Anyway, the second level was the studio. Below was all Chick's offices at the time, his uh, publishing and all that. And I remember loading my gear in the car one day, and uh, a woman comes out, and I thought, yeah, what the hell, I'll give her my card, you know, you never know. I said, you don't know who I am, but, you know, here's my card. I'm, I'm a guitar player in town. If Chick ever needs a guitar player, you've got to call me. She looked at my card, and she said, oh, Frank Gambale, hmm. My, my husband's played with you, and he says you're really good. And I said, well, who's your husband? And her husband was Tom Brechtline. Do you know who Tom Brechtline is? Have you, do you know that oh, name? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he plays. He played Absolutely. drums with uh, Eric Johnson and Robin Ford. Oh, and all totally! Those guys. No, I've seen and with Kenny Loggins now. And when he was twenty-one, I saw him playing with Chick. I mean, he's a real prodigy. Great, great drummer. Well, his wife—that was his wife, Evelyn—and she said, "Oh, yeah, okay." And literally six months later, I get a call for an audition. I was one of four guitar players that got to audition, do a live audition for Chick. Any other notables? that we know from uh, the class. Well, actually, Mike Miller went on to do it many years later. He was one of the guys yeah. who auditioned at the time, yeah. <clears throat> this was the Electric Band? Electric and Band. it was Scott Henderson had done the first album and Carlos Rios. Yeah, there were a few guests on that record, yes. Well, uh, when, when Scott left Jean-Luc Ponty for Chick Corea, I joined, I auditioned for Jean-Luc and got that gig too. So I was kind of following him around. What was that great jam Jean-Luc Ponty had? What's the name of that tune? I love that tune. It's called New Country. Something like something like that. Can you act? And then there's a v- yeah. very fast. Uh. It's a I... great tune uh, called uh, New Country. Yeah. I don't think we played that one, but we played uh, the music from Enig- Enigmatic Ocean, which was one of my favorite records. And I only played with him for about two months. We did a beautiful wow. tour in the US, and he was hugely popular at the time. And we were playing for massive audiences. The world's first and last fusion violin hero. <laughs> yeah. He sort of cornered the market. Uh, <laughs> he's still playing around, right? He's still doing uh, it. Yeah, yeah. He's still he's still working with Stanley. They just did a Stanley Clark and uh, and Jean Luc and Borelli Legrand just did something. Oh, fantastic. What did you nice. learn from him? I mean, he's a great fusion headliner. Is that your first well, big tour? That yeah. was my first big tour. So I toured, and when we got back from that tour, I really was hungry for that. You know, I said I want to do more of this. And Jean Luc was between record contracts. And he said he was taking a year off because he'd been blazing up to that point. You know, he, he was already living in Beverly Hills and he'd done really well. And uh, so I went, well, that's great for you, man. <laughs> like, you know, uh, if I'm around in a year, I would love to do more. And it was in that little grace period of uh, the year that uh, Scott left Chick's yeah. band. And uh, I saw the opportunity come up to audition then. And I got that gig. So what was it like? I mean, for, I think for most of us mortals, <laughs> the idea of like who the most intimidating musician to 
show up and audition for. I think <laughs> Chick Corea would be on the top of many people's lists. Or can't think. <laughs> I have to say that that's absolutely true. Even when you are working with him. <laughs> yeah. So what was it like? What was your uh, first day like with Chick uh, well, Corea? First of all, he's your hero. Second of all, he's an intimidating musical genius. Yeah, I mean, there's only one Chick Corea that you can you can name, but uh, yeah, it was intense. Put it that way. I, I was lucky enough that I had a, a teacher at GIT that had recommended a book to me called "The Magic of Thinking Big," and I always tell this story at my clinics because it's it's you know we all or many of us get the opportunity to audition. And of course, that's when you really need to perform. You can't fall apart. You can't get nervous. You can't be shaking, right? So I read this chapter in the book that really inspired me. And I'll tell you this story. You might get a laugh out of it. Uh, the chapter said, never sell yourself short, right? And I thought, well, that's that sounds good, yeah. And it inspired these other thoughts that came after. I thought, <clears throat> well... What am I doing here? I'm doing an audition for Chick Corea. Okay, great. Right. I, I thought, there's Chick Corea, this giant monolith, and here's Frank and Barley, this amoeba, you know? And I thought, <laughs> surely if I go in with that headspace, I'm never going to get this. You know, I'm just going to be intimidated and fall to pieces. So I got to pull myself up a little bit. So I thought, okay, Chick needs a good guitar player, right? And I thought to myself... You know, I've been playing guitar all my damn life. I am a good guitar player. So I built myself up, uh, you know, built up my ego a little bit to bring myself probably up to Cro-Magnon man rather than an amoeba, but still short of the mark, right? Right. And uh, so Chick, uh, you know, okay, he needs a good guitar player. I'm a good guitar player. Ah, then the thought hit me, you know, and I thought Chick is one of the most amazing musicians. He's one of the most amazing piano players. But on the guitar, he completely sucks. <laughs> so I thought, I'm a better guitar player than him. You know, I'm better at something than he is. And that, that gave me this, uh, you know, like an at least close to a level playing field when I went in there. I'm the guitar player, man. Yeah, I'm going to go in there and blaze. And that's exactly what I did. They all, I remember Chick jumped off the piano after one song came and shook my hand. He said, you know, your amp's going to be pointing across the stage like this. Is that all right with you? And I go, <laughs> and I look like at him going, be. oh, have I got the gig already? And I remember yeah. Patatucci interrupting going, uh, Chick, we still got a couple more guys to audition, but I think Chick had made his mind up already. He yeah. must have heard a lot of himself. You know, I, I was just a huge fan, and a lot of my lines were inspired yeah. by, you know, harmonically. It was a good fit, basically. And that history had proved that, really, because I was with the band for, you know, a long time. What were some of the things that you, you so loved about him long before you ever knew you'd have a shot at playing with him? What were some of the harmonic devices or techniques or approaches that he would do well there was a record the record that really really knocked me out as a kid was one that came out in the early 70s and it was a record called hymn of the seventh galaxy i don't know if you know that record holy i don't know if this is uh oh can't swear holy shit no we got the e rating we're explicit all right Go, go for it holy shit there was some incredible incredible solos on that record that he played on the Fender Rhodes through a fuzz box of something. Oh, you got to hear it. Uh, this, it's some of the most incredible soloing I've ever heard. After that, I went, you know, whatever this guy does. And all the compositions, too, the compositions were not only 
technical, but they were beautiful. To me, I never like to lose touch of melody. You know, melody is always essential to me. Um, and I don't care if it's fast or slow, really. Or, or uh, And the way he developed themes was just, you know, brilliant composition. So I learned a lot compositionally, harmonically, uh, always creative. Uh, and some... Yeah, and I liked the one of the reasons I liked Chick a lot was because he was one of the few jazz purist guys that liked the electric guitar. Right, good point. You know, there aren't many that do. You know, they would prefer to have a saxophone instead of an electric guitar. You know, and yeah. uh, I went, <laughs> yeah. You know, he he likes blazing guitar. He does. He loves it. He can. And that's why he's amazing on the synth, you know, his synth yeah. work is, uh, so, you know, it was great. Uh, I was, I was inspired all the way from the seventies, early seventies. I would always transcribe his music. So what happened next? You show up at a rehearsal a couple <clears throat> days later? You know, the scary part was, okay, I went and did an audition. I had to learn one tune. Which one? Uh, it was one called, uh, Rumble. Bring me back about 30 years here. It's very deep. Yeah, it's yeah. a C minor-y tune, you know, and, you know, the instructions were pretty loose at, uh, for the audition. He said, you know, just learn a couple of my standards and learn rumble. And he says, you don't even have to learn the head. Just learn, just play the solo part. We'll just jam on the solo part and just want to hear you blow, you know. That's and, nice, low pressure. I mean, I <laughs> that was great, but I said... It's C minor. I don't need to practice C minor. I'm going to learn the song. So I said, can we take it from the top? And they all went, oh, okay. Oh, nice. That you... was, it's always good to do a little extra if you can. You know? Yeah. And so uh, that, was, that was it, really. And Patatucci, what a great player. Mm -hmm. My gosh. And Tom Brecklein was at the audition because uh, Weckle at the time lived uh, on the East Coast, so he wasn't there for the audition. Yeah, and it's some of the standards, I guess, maybe Spain or something? Well, I uh, knew quite a few of his tunes, yeah. you know. I, uh, there was one I wanted to play called Humpty Dumpty, you know, which goes... And around it goes. I learned that one and I said, Can we play Hump can we play Humpty Dumpty? I was dying for him to play Humpty Dumpty and he says, oh, I don't remember it. <laughs> Classic. Did you does do they actually solo over this chain? I think you just oh, yeah. went through about seven different keys in about seven bars. Yes, yes, you do solo over those changes. Wow, so what keys are you hitting there? You're hitting... It's kind of different major keys? Couple... Yeah, major, major, or, you know, major, or Lydian major, Lydian major, altered major, and then a lot of minor Dorian. Dorian, Dorian, Dorian. All minor, of course, mostly. Right. But it's just the way they move. They move in a wacky way. I mean, I play a bit of jazz, but when I see tunes like that, I'm one. I don't, you know, I'm thinking, or I'm wondering, are you thinking different key for every four beats and literally switching modes, and or are you finding? Well, you know, it comes. Uh, I think something a little more important than that. Yes, you know, here's the extremes. You can have a whole song that's in one key, right? 
or on one chord. Let's take it even down to the lowest common. Or, you know, the most extreme jazz would be like four chords a bar. You know, boom, 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 boom. Every bar is crazy. So that's the extreme. And then there's everything in between, you know. These are like a bar each. That's considered a long time. <laughs> you know, in, in jazz terms, a bar, yeah, a chord. Well, okay. But fast it's tempo. Temp- but it's a fast tempo, of course. Uh, yeah, you, you have to study the harmony. You have to study... You have to be able to, to to play through changes like that, and that's the game. That's the art, really, and that's that's the the intellectually stimulating part. If you uh, put, they've already done brain scans on jazz musicians improvising, and it's like the Fourth of July, and nothing else that they've ever scanned comes close to that kind of brain activity because it's. It's like having a hundred plates juggling at the same time, you know. Wow. Uh, you know, which note, how long, uh, what's the scale, you know, which part of the fretboard, or in this case, you know, there's a million things happening at the same time. And then that's not even counting being creative in that limited yeah. amount of time. And, you know, I found that rather than try to play scales on everything you know really comes down to uh, important tones important notes or target tones i call them right uh, i'm going to do a whole video on this subject but it's a very important subject it's it's a matter of knowing if you've got a major seven chord what are the notes that sound the best on that chord to your to your personal tastes and so you catalog those away and then what's the, your favorite chord on, uh, notes on an altered chord or, or a minor chord or whatever the chord happens to be. Right. And then you try to string those together in a, in a linear fashion, you know, using the notes of the scale perhaps or chromatically in between so that you land when the chord lands each time you're on one of those important tones. And it's a beautiful way to get through harmony uh in a musical way because you know that those notes that you've chosen the ones that that resonate with your ear um and so you land on those tones first every time a chord changes you probably end up with a a musical solo of some sort yeah especially if you can kind of weave through it in a lyrical manner somehow like we're talking about melody a minute ago sure sure a singable is something like right. that could possibly be, which yeah, <laughs> is pretty adventurous. Well, I, I love, there's an exercise I always do. Uh, you know, you might take um, like an E minor chord. Just give me this little progression and like a G minor. Just two bars of each. So what I do is I go through all, just say I'm going to play Dorian on E minor and I'm going to play Dorian on G minor. I'm going to play, I'm going to, Use the target tone and land, like, on each mm. of those is the first note you hear on the chord change. So, for example, I'll start with roots. I usually do it in thirds. So, you know how you have a scale yeah. can go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven in Dorian, or uh, in this case, one, two, flat three, four, five, six, flat seven. You can string them out like that would be in a chord. So, you go one, flat three, five flat seven nine eleven thirteen that's the same notes of the scale but just right. spread out fanned out as a as an arpeggio in thirds right in thirds so i will every time the chords change like e minor i'm going to play the root g minor i'm going to play the root next time you get to e minor i'm going to target the minor third same with the g minor then the next one will be the fifth 
So you get to hear what each of them sound like, and I'll weave my way through each of them all the way up to 13, okay? I use minor chords because they're the easiest to, to hear it. Okay, so one, two, three, four. Roots. Now, thirds. Fifths. Sevenths. your first note that's a great exercise it's a wonderful exercise and you do this with altered chords you do it with major sevens you do it minus all the chord families you know and expand to different progressions yes and learning to do them with mixed chord types because you know and i find that not all of them i like like roots sound pretty boring to me on a minor chord so i i don't not that i don't play them right right (laughs) I, uh, they're not my favorite. So you end up with a lot of favorite sort of chord tones that you uh, like to land on. So Fantastic. Yeah. Take that concept to the moon and you, you end up uh, with a good result, I think. The first time I saw you was at the Greek theater. They had these great jazz festivals and Chick Corea headlined, I think. At Berkeley and, up in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah Greek I remember theater, that. Berkeley. I remember that show in particular because um, I was thrilled. Uh, Jerry Garcia from The Grateful Dead and Mickey Hart came to that show, and they wanted. Um, I'd heard that um, Jerry Garcia was a fan, and I couldn't believe it myself because I remember jamming on Grateful Dead stuff, you know, Dark Star, when I was a kid in garages for years. And uh, apparently, the story went that he was driving along in his car and he heard a tune from my. Um, uh, which album was it? was called uh, A Present for the Future. And he said he nearly drove off the road and he immediately called his publicist to find out who the heck was that guitar player. He got him to call the radio station, found out it was me. And, it, I mean, talk about fortuitous. I mean, I was literally playing with Chick two weeks later at the Greek up in uh, up in, in the Bay Area. Just so across he came, the Bay from his house, basically. Yeah, and he came to the show. We talked for about an hour. Uh, we were going to do something together. We were talking about doing some stuff. But, you know, it wasn't to be, sadly. But uh, uh, it was I remember that great. day, a very sunny day, a lot of great... I had seen a couple of those festivals. There's some amazing... Sometimes we had like Herbie Hancock and Wayne Shorter, all kinds of great artists. Yeah, those. that was a beautiful day, I remember. Sunny. I remember you were... That was in your uh, fluorescent Ibanez day. Yeah, my bright guitars. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Uh, I remember Jerry asked me to come to, uh, he invited me to come to their show at the Forum in L.A., which was a couple of weeks after. And I remember going and being, I mean, treated like royalty. It was amazing. I was brought in and I, I got there a little late. They'd already started, but uh, they, he'd already put word out to, you know, to make sure I was taken care of. And I ended up literally five feet from the back of his amp for the whole show. 
It was amazing watching a Grateful Dead show from that perspective, you know, at the forum with everybody just, you know, twirling. Yeah, it was just a a beautiful evening. Yeah, yeah. Too bad we never got to play something together. But I heard from somebody that used to hang out with him all the time. He said, oh, Jerry was studying your sweet picking, man. He had my sweet picking video. and He was trying to get it. <laughs> he was into some cool stuff. People don't always realize. Like he had a solo band. He did all these great gospel oh, tunes and I have all a lot Dylan of Dylan tunes, yeah, Motown I, tunes. I was a big fan. Well, that's a great story. Mm, yeah, there you go. You know, a lot of uh, aspiring professional guitar players and professional guitar players end up doing clinics to one degree or another. Yeah, you've become quite the professional clinician. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what my question is exactly, but. What is it like doing these clinics and how has it evolved for you? Well, over- the clinics are usually sponsored by uh, one of the companies that I endorse. You know, it'd be the Carvin Clinic or it's a, you know, a DV Mark Clinic in this case or even a Diodario or uh, any of the endorsers. They like to have their artists out there representing and uh, especially when there's a new product. I have a new company that I'm endorsing. See this? Uh, where is it? There's one over there. It's a prototype. I can't tell you who it is yet, but that'll. Uh, we're working on a new acoustic guitar, a signature acoustic guitar. Sweet. And, and uh, so next year I'll be out, you know, as part of my year, certainly uh, doing some of the trade shows and doing uh, representing and playing. I get to play my music, which is great. So I'll play with either backing tracks or if yeah. there's budget, I'll bring a group um, uh, to promote. Uh, the product, but I also the 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 plus side for the for the um, fans as they get to ask questions and it's a real conversation. So it's not it's not just dry presentation oh, yeah. of a product. I mean, I I refuse to do it that way. You know, I'll talk yeah. a little bit about it. I always think in terms of endorsement, if I'm playing it, that's endorsement enough. You know, I don't need to sit and belabor unless somebody's asking me a specific okay. question about the instrument, you know. Oh, well the gear sells sells itself like this guitar that I'm playing. Yeah, you like it? Fantastic. Now, uh, these you developed yeah. these with Carvin. They're yeah. semi-hollow, right? Yeah, actually they're completely hollow. Oh, really? Did well, yeah, the chambered, let's say, yeah. But they do have a block underneath the pickups, yes, probably. They do. Otherwise, yes. you'd be squealing like yes, crazy. Yes, that's right. But with no no F-holes. I've had them take the F-holes off. Uh, uh-huh. I just think it looks slicker, and it reduces the feedback. I can play a lot louder without the F-holes than I can with the F-holes. Uh, right. So, yeah, it's, a, it's sweet. It's a very sweet guitar. Very, very happy with it. I love them. It's just called the Carvin Frank Gambali model? FG1, it's the called. One the FG one that you are holding, yeah, gold top. Yes, it's got MIDI, yeah. and it's also got the piezos on the bridge. So, so that's why yeah. you have the split volume knob and tone knob over there. Or? Yes, I haven't plugged. I've just got the electric guitar plugged right. in right now, but uh, cool. it has lots of options. Dual output jack. Yeah, and they make them with trem now. They they had to think about that to get the get it to work with the chambered body, but uh, they got it to work. Cool, nice uh, Wilkinson tremolo on here. Yeah, yeah, it's a lovely instrument. I just think Carvin make spectacular instruments, and they're going from strength to strength. They've just changed the name back to Kiesel. The family is Kiesel. It's a family-run company, and it was originally called Kiesel. Then it became that that was the father that uh, established the company, and and then um, Carvin was named after his two sons, right? Two two of his sons, Carson and Gavin, I think, you know, became Carvin. 
And now they're going back. The, the guitar end is splitting off from all the amps and stuff so they can be a little more independent. They're setting up a new factory uh, in San Diego, to, and they're just building incredibly beautiful instruments. Well, yeah. they've been such a great company, you know, backing true players like Jason Becker and yep. Holdsworth mm-hmm. and yourself. Yes. Very cool. And then yeah. blanking on some of their other endorsees mm. over the years. Oh, they got a lot of great I first discovered too. them, of course, Craig Chiquiso. Yes, of course. <laughs> great, great rock and roller. Is he in the band? You playing with him with Jefferson? No, no. If if he was in the band, I wouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You wouldn't be. <laughs> it's just an honor to play Take some, his, place, his yeah, licks. And, yes. and I do my very best when he has a very memorable part or a memorable line, even if it was oh, impro- sure. if it was improvised. Yeah, no, but if it's, it's part, part of, of the, the song, if people have, I'm they, they want to hear it. Yeah. 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 I've got it. an extent, I've got an invitation out to him to do this show. I've got his business card in huh. my wallet right now. And I think he probably will good. be on here before long. Good, good. Of course, I have to ask you about your DV Mark signature amp. What a yeah. fun piece of gear that is. Multi-amp FG. Yeah. We took a while to get this uh, done. Uh, we started with a completely different amp, uh, and that's why it took a long time for, to finally get it uh, done. Uh, the one I started with was called the Amplitude, and that was all analog. Um, and I still have them. I still like it. Uh, but they wanted to go completely digital so they could upgrade easily, software-driven, and they could have a lot more stuff, you know, <laughs> a lot more yeah. effects. You could fit, you know, digitally you can put a lot more in. So I went, okay. Uh, so the way they got me to uh, convince me to do that was by having an amplitude as an amp model inside this box as one of the primary amp models. You know, it's got all your typical amp modelings of, you know, Marshalls and, you know, whichever Fender Blackface Twins and all that stuff. And um, they've got amplitude, which was one we really tweaked for a long time. So that's the, that's the yeah. only amp model I use when I'm using it. Can I, I hear mean, that model? Sure. I mean, it sounds... I love the sound of the distortion. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's great. I'll go through a couple of the patches. It's one. Are you controlling the master volume with this boss volume pedal? Yes. Is that a boss? Yeah. A big delay in chorus. What else have I got in? I call that. Who makes this MIDI buddy? That you're using a MIDI buddy's. (laughs) Yeah, I like MIDI buddy. It's small and simple. Change all your patches. Clean. your typical stuff that's wonderful and uh so lush sounding and we're only in mono right now i understand it's uh, yeah. stereo 250 watts on each side or yes and when you you put a couple of 412s or even just the 212s like this one two of them sounds incredible and those things are, it's its like probably a Class D power amp, like digital. Like in other words, really lightweight. 
very, very light. And like some of could, the speakers, they, the neodymium or dimdinium, one of the neodymium speakers <laughs> are so light. We have a yeah. new series of speakers and a new, uh, there's a new little combo coming too. That's They're great. shipping in uh, December, which is pretty soon. Uh, they, yeah. They, they, they look black and white to match my uh, multi-amp FG. It's beautiful. They've sort of done... Uh, it's great. Sort of yeah, heart, got... The yin-yang look to them, black and white. Can't wait to see those. And mm. Yeah, nice. Uh... The, the, the little combo is really, really screaming. It's got the actual amplitude in it, uh, except for, you know, that we had to choose two of the three channels. So I just chose the clean and the crunch channel from amplitude. And it's the, the analog circuit, the original analog circuit, and it screams. Wow. Whoa. An embarrassment of riches. Yes, you're going to love it when you hear it. I'm sure uh, the magazines will review it and they'll all be uh, raving. Any other uh, gear that you, uh, I know you see, Daddario Strings. Yeah. Uh, Great I've, company. I've got this new guitar, acoustic guitar coming, which will be released at NAMM 2016, but I can't tell you who it is yet. Uh, we're, we're still developing it. The guys are coming over tomorrow. We're going to, it's not exactly right yet but it's going to be right by the time now sure we've got time for one more prototype i love hearing you on acoustic i'm hoping that maybe at the very end we can yeah. hear a little bit of acoustic yeah i can uh, we can talk a little bit about my tuning are you kidding i would uh, i'm not leaving here until you uh, uh sure. demonstrate this <laughs> now i don't know if you want to mic the acoustic guitars whatever you want to do yeah I'll, 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 I'll move that mic over there okay Let me Not a loud guitar. All right, check one. So we have succeeded in switching the mic around to uh, hear one of your acoustic guitars. And you're in your special tuning. Do you have a name for this tuning? Gambali tuning. Gambali tuning, that works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, you know, like you were talking about before with the sweeping, <laughs> I thought, let me give this my name. I like and it. It's, it's a creative step, actually, from, um, you know, my fascination with chords on the piano. Uh, uh, for years, I just sort of let go of the uh, guitar for a lot of my compositional things, you know? Really? Yeah, a lot of writing on the piano because I loved the facility of being able to play any chord I want, close voiced or wide, doesn't matter. You know, on the piano, you can really put any notes together, uh, especially the close ones. You know, when you need a half step, you that's know, a, you usually yeah. have to have a big kind of stretch to and get That's it. about the only half step you're going to get. That's right. Well, on I this guitar, it, uh, you know... I remember fooling with the VG99, you know, the Roland, uh, the yeah. VG uh, box. And I was inspired by the Nashville tuning. You said you just played the Nashville tuning the other day. It's, yeah, I just did a session the other day, and it's magnificent. To, it's uh, magnificent. But it's the second guitar. Right. Right? It's higher. It's like a mandolin. And, and do, would you like to explain there, anyone who doesn't know what Nashville oh, tuning is? Okay, Nashville tuning is where you have a 12-string guitar and you take all the low strings, uh, you leave the, the second 
higher octave right. on the low four strings, and then the two high ones are unison, but you can they they take those off too, so that you've got the low four strings up an octave to where they usually are on a guitar. So in essence, the two high the highest strings are an octave uh, in the regular pitch, but are an octave lower to the low four strings. Right. It's a, it's it's a bit it's confusing, a, but, you know. It's a sparkly sound. It adds so much. What's cool about it is that you don't have to learn any new fingerings, and it sort of sounds mandolin-like because it's up high. Well, the thought that occurred to me after fooling around with it, I thought, I can play any chord. Any chord that I can play on the keyboard, you know, within reason. For four notes, I can play any keyboard voicing close Five, I can play most of them. Six, some of them. Six note voicings. And this, Nashville yeah. tuning was my inspiration. But for me, I didn't want a mandolin sound. It's beautiful and it's tinkly, but I wanted to have the fundamental guitar be that tuning. You know, because in Nashville, it's usually a second guitar. You've got someone strumming the big chords on standard tuning, and then you've got the, uh, the Nashville guitar as an accompany instrument accompanying instrument but higher right it's high it was too yeah. high i wanted to bring it down so the first thing i did was why don't do it do it backwards so i took the whole thing down an octave i thought why don't i leave the low four strings the way they are and just make the two highest strings an octave lower to standard pitch but that was too low that sounded like a baritone guitar so i was really trying to capture the mid-range of a piano so I, I took it, it's down, uh, let's see, it's an A, so it's down a fifth from Nashville or up a fourth from natural, normal tuning. So it's play. still a Nashville tuning in essence, but it's been one, one step So that's removed. an A minor 11 chord if you hit all open strings? Yeah, I start with an A. So it goes A, D, G, C, E, A. Let me hear it one string at a time one more time. It's basically guitar tuning if I did this, where I put my two yeah. high strings at the 12th fret. Right. So it's basically like taking your two highest strings down an octave, but I've raised the whole thing up to A, starting it with an A. And this way, I've, I've lost a fourth, right, because I don't get down to low E, but... I can play, uh, now I can play half steps with that look like right. sevenths, right? Well, if you've played with Nashville tuning, you know. So I, I can play four yeah. chromatic notes as an extreme. That's impossible unless you were an, an alien. octopus. <laughs> yeah, an octopus could play it. So that's the extreme. But In the thing tune. is that's beautiful. When I play a, like a 13th chord, these are my favorite keyboard voicings it's the same as going those four notes together which is right. the 13th and the flat seven together as a half step and then the nine and the third okay, if, if you put a capo on the seventh fret of this guitar that's where nashville tuning is that would be just the same exactly as a nashville tune guitar yes but you know you gotta have to think yeah. of the creative step which i always <laughs> think is you know, why didn't anybody do it as the fundamental oh, guitar? Yeah. Right? Absolutely. I'm totally with you. It's like a baritone Nashville. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or just, um, I've made it the principal guitar. 
So uh, it's, it's an incredible yeah. tuning because I'm able to play any chord I want. Yeah. There's no really limit, really. Beautiful sound. Voicing sounds so beautiful. thing ever <laughs> why leave the house <laughs> yeah it's just i can play any chord now you know i don't have to go oh i wish i could get that one x it's really just the one extra note you know when i can play a major seven like this it's a pretty much a garden variety shape here on the top four strings yeah but it's it's one it's it's this voicing it's seven root yeah. three five. You can't play that on the guitar. Yeah. And I can play them everywhere. Is there, I mean, there must be a use for a standard tune, I mean, a standard range guitar with an E as the lowest string that is gambali tuning. Has it just sounded a little too muddy for you or? What, down to E? Like if you did this tuning starting with a low E. Too low. You can certainly do it. But it just but it sounded like bar it, the voicings are all too low. I'd have to end up playing up at the 12th fret all So this time. is kind of the sweet spot of like a piano this keyboard. This is the absolute sweet spot. I experimented all over yeah. the map. And the fourth up was the best, uh, from a standard guitar tuning, was the best I could find. Right, it's it, a you know? ukulele range. That's where they start. <laughs> you can do some it's of that a. stuff. With it. Yeah. But if you have a good bass player, you know, bass players are using six strings these days. It gives them more, it actually works oh, yeah. great with a bass player because it gives them a little more space actually so we can talk about that you have a new acoustic coming out mm -hmm. although we, we're not going to mention names of any manufacturers at this point but i'm assuming it's going to be set up for this tuning actually i will set them up for that tuning but it's not going to be standard coming oh. out of the factory that no it's going to be regular guitar okay so it'll be regular tuning is the same typical scale length as a typical uh, acoustic. i length. like small bodied guitars I've always right. been a big fan of, you know, uh, say, uh, the 0018s. These little yeah. little body guitars, to me, they always sound the biggest. You know, yeah. big body guitars don't always sound big. It, they, uh, they look big, but they don't always sound big. In fact, my favorite sounding acoustic guitar is the, basically the classical guitar shape. Yeah. But I still need a cutaway, but basically that size, like a classical guitar. They're smaller, but they're incredibly loud. They record brilliantly record well. Record beautifully. And uh, I should pick it up and play it for you so you can at least hear the prototype. Oh, here. 
Maybe can see what it is, but hang on a second. There's a few aste- uh, cosmetic things I'm going to change. With. So this is the prototype. Is that the brand? Yes, that's the band. That's a beautiful looking guitar. It's going to be a little different for this one. you end up with it's a really vibey looking instrument I love it it's uh, kind of aggressive in design but still this may really change. beautiful I think I toned this down a bit but I love the inlay work the inlay the cutaway yep the kind of square back unusual flat. guitar and this is an Aussie wood I forget what it's called but it's like it's like Koa uh, Adirondack spruce on beautiful. top and are you debuting that at the Winter Nam show? Fantastic. Well, we'll definitely post pictures of it, everything the moment it's ready for release. Thank you. Very nice. Nice. Good. Well, we've covered so much. I don't want to leave anything out. Is there anything, Frank, that we... Uh, any other project or anything? Well, I know yeah. you got I mean, I definitely, I'm going to play some music, maybe off Soul Mine off the front, like on the Great. very front of the show, play some of that. Yeah. You mentioned that you have a new record that you guys are working on and stuff. Yeah. What well, do- you know, Booker and I are working on a new Soul Mine record. Uh, and it's, um, I think it's even stronger musically than the first one we did together. The first one, we were still sort of trying a few different things. So this stuff that's sort of R&B, this stuff that kind of rock, and this stuff that's sort of jazzy, and it's a real interesting, eclectic mix of tunes. But I think this next one is a little more solid direction that is, you know, I guess adult contemporary. I don't know how to really describe the music, but they're uh, strong melodies, uh, cool changes, nice songs, you know? I just want to make nice songs, great I songs, you know, that I'm, I'm, I would like to hear, you know? <laughs> Do you record some of this stuff here in your house? I mean, this is a... I do all the, the pre-production here. In fact, uh, we're going to start uh, turning this into a proper studio real soon. Because wow. right now it's just the whole bottom of the house. We're going to seal all this off. We're going to do the paneling, the whole thing. It's going to be a just studio. Just don't block that view, my no, brother. No, block the view. <laughs> you got a view from every uh, floor of the house. You've got yeah. the great view. I love uh, views. Nothing like inspiring views. Therapeutic, uh, I think... Uh, I think someone's one's blood pressure lowers with a nice view like that. Is that right? So I think I'm just um, guessing. Just, oh, I love the. <laughs> at, uh, we see the sunrise every morning up over the hills, and uh, and the you know the moon. We get to see moon rises and stuff. It's just yeah, I, I can't imagine not seeing that anymore. I'm just used to it. Um, Fantastic. What's it like being in a band with your uh, your sweetheart? Are you guys? Oh, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, she's, uh, when I met her, she already had a couple of records out and, uh, big talent, beautiful singer. Um, and you know, just writes beautifully inspirational lyrics, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, um, and she's, she's really helpful, uh, and, and talented at 
the arrangements of the tunes. So we work together to really trim things. And I tend to go long where she likes to chop things down and make it more concise, which is a good thing for me. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll just meander, you know, yeah. a little bit. Um, Everybody so needs an editor. <laughs> sometimes we do, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, we're, we're plugging away. I think, you know, we're trying to get more songs than we need so that we can... Uh, can tweak it we've got my uh, my band's coming over tomorrow we're gonna tomorrow we're gonna start jamming on some of the tunes uh, trying out some parts and see how it sounds well it's just great to see you doing so well as usual thank you and uh thank you so much for uh sitting down and geeking out on some guitar with us here my pleasure well cool you want to take it out on a little acoustic sure. jam uh, maybe i or electric okay you want to do electric what do you want to play i don't know maybe take it out on a little cantaloupe 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 i love cantaloupe
innovator, pioneer, enterprising entrepreneur, and most of all, just an inspiring cat. He definitely could have a different career as a motivational speaker if he wanted, I think. But I'm glad he's playing guitar. I thank him and Boca for a wonderful afternoon at their house. They are great hosts. They can't help but be great hosts because they're Italian. Best hosts in the world. Frank has a lot of stuff going on, so you should check out his website, frankambali.com, to see stuff like his upcoming gigs, appearances at NAM and Music Mesa, the latter of which is, of course, in Frankfurt. NAM is in Anaheim in the winter, January. He's also got some clinics. You should mark your calendar, because a Frank Gambali clinic is a good clinic. In March, such as March 23rd, Guitar Center, Sherman Oaks, California. Next day in Tempe, Arizona. Day after that in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Day after that in San Antonio, Texas. That would be the 26th. March 28th in New York City. Dude knows how to hold a clinic, I'm telling you. Thanks again to Zoom for the Zoom H6 recorder that I like to use to record these episodes. Again, my name is Jude Gold. I thank Guitar Player very much, specifically... Bill Amstutz and Mike Melinda for the support of my podcast and helping me put this out. Say hello on Facebook, Facebook. I have a site, a page there for this called No Guitar is Safe, the Facebook page, where I'll put up some cool videos from our interview. I had fun in the words of Joe Cetriani from episode one. alive until you're 95 or older i added that last part didn't rhyme but i want you to aim high <laughs>